Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Etymology Rules Podcast where I discuss etymology and all things language because I truly believe that etymology rules, words matter, and you should use them to have a better understanding so you can cultivate your mind. I am your host, Brittany Salali Bay, author and founder of Etymology Rules, where we aim to equip people worldwide with the knowledge and power of words. So just a reminder, the book is out. Etymology Rules Back to Basics is available today. Um, I have done a couple of things so thus far after publishing the book, um, namely done a couple of speeches at my school. Um, so I'm really excited to sh- have the opportunity to share what I know about language it's just so other people can build their knowledge, their awareness, and so they can really think critically about language in our society. Um, as you all know, language is not just something I love to study uh, almost scientifically, one could say, but I also love the creative aspect of language. So a really short note on what I'm reading. I'm not going to go too deep into it today, but I will share more next episode because this entire episode is dedicated to dyslexia once again. And we have an interview with a really dope individual who uh, sheds a lot of light and insight about dyslexia. So a uh, quick blurb about what I'm reading now, and then we'll talk, we'll get into the interview. So I am currently reading a book of short stories called Friday Black. It's by Nana Kwame Ajay Brennan. And I have to tell you, I am in love with this book. It is magical realism and satire and short story, which are like three things that I absolutely love. So I, I encourage you to check it out and let me know your thoughts if you do get a chance to read the book. All right. But now for the interview, I am pleased to introduce Carlistus Obang, who is an educational psychologist here in Washington, D.C. And he's going to speak to us today about dyslexia from a professional and personal perspective. So you're not going to want to miss this. Go ahead and get your pen, get your paper, get your coffee, tea, your water, and settle in because he's about to drop some jewels. So let's get into it. Uh, welcome. And Hi. 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 <laughs> and uh, could you give us like a little intro of, of tell us about yourself, um, you know, where you're from, and um, I guess what brought you here because you're in D.C. now. I know you Kind of new to DC, fairly. Uh, kind of. Well, no, I I, I got. Nah, I can't say I'm new to DC right now. But um, hello. Yes, my name is Callistus Obang. Um, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, to two uh, Ghanaian parents. Uh, I have Ghana running through my my blood and veins. Um, I spent. I moved around a lot. Um, when I was a child, my dad's job. Um, has just moving around quite a bit. I spent some time in Montana, learned how to ride horses. Um, and then I spent some time, uh, a few hours from Chicago in Hensdale, Illinois. If anyone knows where Hensdale is, it's a, it's a suburb of, of Illinois, I guess you could say. Um, and then I would say probably around, uh, 10, 11, 12, not sure when, <laughs> uh, moved to Maryland. And I was in Columbia, Maryland 
all throughout middle school um, and high school. Um, and then from from there, uh, I got my first like dose of psych well, dose of dyslexia um, in high school. And then I started to understand dyslexia a lot more in college. I went to college in Delaware. I went to grad school at Howard University and just here in DC. I've been in DC probably for, I've been in the DC area for six years now. Yeah. But you're like a DMV -er, Texas. Basically, so yeah. I've, I've been here since I've been like 11, 12. So anytime I say I'm from Texas, people are like, nah, nah, you're from Columbia. So I'm all like, right. all right. Um, okay. Well, I didn't know that. Um, so that's pretty cool to know. Um, I'm from the DMV too, but I'm from Virginia. So shout out to the area. Um, and what you, you mentioned, like you realized, I guess, did you realize that you um, were dyslexic in high school or is that when, uh, did you always have some difficulties and, and um, it just wasn't identified until later or what? Yeah, well, I, I realized I really couldn't read like everybody else, probably in the fourth grade. Uh, crazy, the fourth grade was the first black teacher I've had. Uh, her name is Ms. Harpham. If she's out there listening, thank you, Ms. Harpham. Uh, and she was like the first, the first teacher who actually gave me like work. Like, you know, your first couple years of life, it's a lot of blocks, coloring, a lot of sight words, a lot of, and like, you can kind of fake it till you make it uh, when it comes to sight words. Like, I have my own theory about sight words that, you know, <laughs> could be controversial. Uh, you know, I think sight words are amazing, but I also think that people who are dyslexic, it, it's, it's almost, um, sight words almost mask that a little bit, because I have a really good memory. So, you know, to, to uh, a teacher, it may look like, oh yeah, you know, Carl knows what he's talking about. But no, when you really uh, want me to like break down syllables, no, I have no idea how to blend at all. And uh, my fourth grade teacher, she really like said, hey, like I, I want you to read. Um, and I, I just couldn't uh, at all. Uh, but uh, I was a very nice, uh, student, very nice child. Uh, nobody ever wanted to fail me, so I just kept on passing and passing and passing up until 11th grade. Uh, another teacher, um, she was like, hey, I think you're dyslexic, and then that is when my evaluation process started, so then I got diagnosed in 11th grade, um, and it was a hard journey uh, until that diagnosis, very hard journey. Oh man, there's so much I want to ask now. Um, because I think about students who we work with and especially teaching middle school and how many students may not be receiving any kind of intervention until then. And you're saying you didn't even know until 11th grade. So, and you mentioned it was a hard journey. So what was that like? Um, you know, how do you feel like you compensated for um, your difficulties with reading? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it, it was hard. Um, throughout middle school. So I, I realized I have like a, I would say maybe a better than average memory. So um, I was 
decent at context reading, not decent enough to like get A's or anything. So like I was failing most of middle school um, up until I got diagnosed in 11th grade. My GPA was like a 1.87-ish, somewhere around there. Um, it was really hard at home. Uh, again, if there are any children of immigrant parents out there, you know that our parents, um, excellence are no excuses. Uh, so my sister naturally gifted, um, my brother, I have, I have a older sister, younger brother, both of them straight A's in school, naturally gifted. They're, they do amazing things. And then it's like, I'm the middle child. I'm very much, even in the psychological sense, very much middle child. It was like, why, why can't Carl do what his siblings are doing? Uh, and, you know, my parents really didn't understand disabilities, nor did they really like believe in them at first. It took them a while to kind of understand how my brain works. Um, so like a lot of nights crying in middle school and high school, um, a lot of nights uh, just didn't understand what was going on with me, uh, really didn't understand um, why I couldn't read like everybody else. And not even... I think for me, it wasn't even like I couldn't read like everybody else. Like, I just couldn't read. It was like, I just couldn't blend. Um, now understanding phonemes had zero skills, <laughs> zero skills in that. Um, and, and yeah, and uh, until, and then I, I got, I got diagnosed and all that, but I really didn't have a good IEP. Had like, I, I call it the worst IEP of all time. Um, and Can you tell our listeners what IEP is just for those who may not know? Yeah, IEP is Individualized Education Plan. And after a student uh, becomes classified with a, or classified with a learning disorder, um, back when I was in grade school, it was diagnosed, but now it's classified. It's a lot of litigation, but um, yeah, you were given an IEP. This is supposed to be a structured plan that would help you succeed in the classroom. I was supposed to get like pull out support from a special education teacher, things like that. I didn't get any of that. I think I saw somebody like once or twice. Um, I had OT therapy, horrible handwriting until this day. Um, but OT therapy only lasted maybe a couple of months. Um, and then I was just kind of on my own, you know, and it was just really, it, it was a struggle senior year. Yeah. So once you received the diagnosis, um, how did things change? Um, initially, not much. <laughs> um, it was like, all right, I understand what this is. Um, but I don't know how, like, I still don't really know how to read like that. Um, I took a psychology class in high school. Um, I found a real interest in psychology. Uh, I've low-key, I've always wanted to be a psychologist, just like when you tell people like, you know, I'm a 6'2 black man, athletic build. Like when you tell people like, oh, I want to be a psychologist, they're like, eh, I don't know about that. So uh, I had a lot of people tell me no for a very, very, very long time, uh, including uh, my psychology teacher in high school. Um, but psychology really got me interested. Like I was interested so much in psychology. I like willed myself to read and like and blend and it would take me, you know, hours to read a chapter in a textbook. But like, I, I was so interested in the material that like I, I, I really wanted to read. Um, 
and then only when I got to college. So I, I got to, I got into a college, Wesley College, off of like a conditional um, admittance. So it was like, I had to take a bunch of remedial classes and then I had to check in with like the provost person. It, it was kind of like, we're gonna let you in, but like you get one bad grade and you're out. So um, I, I went to Wesley College, um, I got some tutoring um, and I really like slowed down with reading and just like really tried. I mean, the, the easiest way I can explain it is like I taught myself how to read um and then yeah the my grades got a lot better and i got like the interest in psychology grew and like that's when like my reading journey like began mm, so motivation sounds like a huge factor um as well as resources but that was not till later on down the line so motivation was like a major player um what do you think about students that you work with now that you know that you see or diagnose or i guess now classify which is news to me and that's like i was just thinking in my head man that's a whole episode um it know. really is <laughs> it really yeah we, we could do a whole episode on diagnose versus classification like it's yeah it's it's a whole it's like bureaucracy it's a lot yeah yeah i mean it's making me think about like the the politics of um, language in the educational space because, you know, special education versus student support, like I said, that's like a whole conversation. Maybe I have to bring you back for that. Right, uh, exactly. We could do a whole series, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, now that you work with students who are classified as dyslexic, um, how do you feel like your experience aids you as you aid them? Yeah, um, I, I always tell parents and like potential employers, um, it's, I'm like a, okay, I'll, I'll back up. When they ask you that question, like what sets you apart from other people, things like that, like when you're interviewing, like, well, because I was in special education, I can, I can more, uh, I guess I could say like, I know what dyslexia looks like very quickly, very easily from, from far away. Um, dyslexia, it, it almost, it, it has a look in a classroom. Like I can, I can do an observation in the classroom today and I can know who the struggle readers are before anybody has said a word. Cause we, we all have that same look. Uh, and when I'm in, at my school now, like I know if I'm doing an observation before the teacher even says, all right, we're about to turn to this page and, and we're gonna read this. I know who is like squeamish a little bit, who's off task, who's like, so it, it kind of just comes to me very easily. Um, and I would say being dyslexic, it really helps parents, um, especially parents in our community, just being um, a black person. Um, there are a lot of moments um, at least a few times every year where I'll classify a child and the parents will say, no, my baby doesn't have this and I don't want him to be labeled. And I've had a lot of parents say, well, you know, he talks to the pastor and said, ma'am, that's not, that's, <laughs> that's good, but that's not going to help him learn how to read. Um, and once I tell them like, hey, um, I'm dyslexic, I was 
diagnosed with dyslexia. I still grew up, went to college, went to grad school. I own a house. Like, you know, it, it, it's not like this isn't um, a death sentence, uh, you know, so it's that really helps me with the parents a lot. Uh, you know, you spoke about being able to see and identify a dyslexic kid without maybe assessing, but what is the assessment process when you officially get it on paper and, you know, you say, I know this kid is dyslexic. What does that whole process look like? Yeah, um, it is a lengthy process. I probably missed, but I probably shouldn't say that you should just, uh, you, can, you can look at a kid and, and kind of know, but you, you do know when a kid has uh, a challenge in a particular content area, because they, they give it away with their nonverbal, their disposition. You, you can see like, and for math, you can see when a kid doesn't like math, it is very visible. But um, when it comes to uh, uh, potentially, well, assessing a student, what should happen, I, I wanna talk about what should happen. <laughs> what should happen is, this student should go through some type of intervention. Um, uh, back in the day, they used to call it RTI. Uh, now they call it MTSS. But the child should go through some type of intervention. It should be some type of um, intervention that is, I would say, six weeks targeted reading. Um, and then after that, if that intervention fails, and then eventually it would come to me um, and I would give them a, probably a complete cognitive and achievement evaluation. So they call it a psychoeducational evaluation. Um, within that, there are a bunch of reading-based uh, subtests that I would give the child. And from there, you kind of, it's a lot of just analyzing. Um, it's seeing um, a lot like working with phonemes, working with phonological awareness, uh, working with uh, blending and chunking and syllables. Um, and then if they do meet a certain criteria, then yes, they are classified with specific learning disability. Um, and then from there, you can kind of group that under dyslexia. Uh, and oh, one question I do get all the time is, you know, can you classify a child with dyslexia? Not really. Um, is, yeah, it's, it's called SLD, and that's a reading, and it can be a reading disability. Uh, and under that, you, it follows like dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's, it's kind of confusing, but not really once you start like flowing with it. Yeah. Yeah, there, I think, so the previous episode I did talked a lot about like how to define dyslexia and even the origins of the term dyslexia. Um, so I know that there's been varying views on what it actually is. And some I've read or I've seen that um, there's an element with like your eyes in terms of, um, I guess that it's less about what you're saying, um, the, the cognitive ability to basically identify parts and words, whether it's sounds, um, syllables, et cetera. And like I said, I've heard that it's more like your eye movements or something to that degree. And, you know, some people also say, if you see your letters backwards, that's dyslexia. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on 
these varying views of what dyslexia is? Yeah, I, it's crazy. I would say dyslexia is all that and nothing at the same time. Dyslexia is one of the strangest, most unique and beautiful um, disabilities I've ever come across. Yeah, there is, I, I would call it like classical dyslexia, uh, where kids are transposing their letters, um, whether they're writing them backwards, upside down. Um, I have a lot of parents who come to me, I used to work in elementary school, and it would be first grade and the kids were writing the letters backward and things like that. That's still kind of common, really, up until like, I would say mid second grade. And then, okay, now we're starting to have some issues. But transposing letters is, is very common. Um, and I would say when it comes to the eyes, so that is, for me, um, like, I guess my particular, I don't wanna call it a version of dyslexia, but really, like, it, they're, they're really like different versions. Um, I have a really hard time um, blending, just like blending in general. My, my, my phonemic awareness is off, um, still till this day. Uh, and I, I read all the time now, but like it would just take me longer to read. Um, and sometimes with, I guess with dyslexia, if there are a lot of two and three letter words in a sentence, uh, we can often run that whole um, sentence together. So now it looks like one word and we don't know any of the words. <laughs> um, so like that, that happened, that happened to me yesterday, actually during uh, the PD. I did a PD yesterday for, for some teachers and there was a particular sentence and it was like, what do you do if then what was, and I was like, I cannot read this sentence. It was, it, it's too many small words for me. Um, I I'm sorry, that's really fascinating because, um, you know, I do reading assessments as a reading specialist and I do running records and I always see like similar patterns. Either the student is really strong with their reading and like they might repeat some phrases because I think maybe they're not familiar with the phrasing. So like when to stop and maybe sometimes it's punctuation. Then I see the students who like, they have difficulty with the, with the multisyllabic words. So they either say something else completely or they just skip it or they might try to break it down. And then I see the students who, um, as you're saying, they have trouble with the smaller words and they'll either skip them or read them as something totally different. Um, I think trying to continue to make sense of the text, but I'm like, that's not what it says. And I never really put that together with dyslexia. Like I, I tend to think of it more of like, like you said, the, phon the, the phonemic awareness, the decoding, but um, that just definitely adds another layer to my understanding. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, being dyslexia is, it's interesting. Um, like one point that a lot of people, I mean, some people talk about and some people don't, directions um, for a, a long time in my life. So I, I got my driver's license. I think I was like, you know, 17, 18 or something like that. Um, and I get my lefts and my rights confused all the time, all the time. So I have to typically give myself, let's say I have a meeting at, uh, at 1.30 and it takes 30 minutes to get there. I'll probably give myself 45 minutes because I know I'm going to take a wrong turn. 
Um, and yeah, that, that, that's an interesting part too, that I just, dyslexia just, it, it, it almost takes over your life, but then there's some like really good benefits too. So it's just, it's all over the place. Yeah, um, actually I was, I was thinking about the benefits. Um, you know, you said you have an extremely great memory. Uh, do you think that is something that you learned or that you developed as a method of compensation? Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Uh, cause I, 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 I couldn't spell. I, I couldn't read the and if it was, but I knew that the the voice that my teacher made when she said "woof," and then this this thing that looks like a W on this card. Okay, she says "was," that says "was." So the next time I see these three letters together, I know that this is "was." But do I know how to say it? No. Can I break it down? Can, can I do the vowels for it? Can, can, I, can I do the um, syllables, things like that? Can I do the letter sounds? No, not at all. <laughs> um, so memory, definitely. Um, I would say the, the biggest benefit for dyslexia for, for me in, in, in my, uh, I guess, profession um, is processing. I process information extremely quickly. Um, and that helps me when it comes to like uh, the counseling side of, of my job. Um, and it, it helps me when it comes to like teacher collaboration, uh, being in meetings, um, and just even in my friendship groups, I can kind of spot danger from a long, from a, <laughs> from a mile away. I kind of told my friend, I don't know if that's a good idea right now. <laughs> so um, yeah, those are the benefits. Um, when you read, are you able to picture what you read very easily? Just recently, um, I would say, uh, so I'm, I'm 31. I turned 32 in two weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, Happy almost birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just started reading for leisure um, at 20, 29, I think 29. My fiance, uh, who's been like a big supporter in me and just, just she, she knows that I've always wanted to just kind of read, but I just kind of get in my mind, even like now as an adult, um, I can read a textbook all day long. I'm comfortable with that. But like reading for leisure just wasn't, um, just wasn't a thing for me. And she really supported me on that. And uh, I finally read this book, um, Children of Blood and Bones. Um, yeah, amazing book. Um, and that was the first time um, that I was able to like see the world that the author was creating. Uh, and it was so vivid. And the, the, the battles and the romance, like everything was so clear to me. It was almost as if I was like watching a movie. And that book was so good. I was like, oh my gosh, what else is out there? And I just started just reading and reading. And now I, I read all the time. I'm reading a book right now. Um, what are you reading? Right now, oh, I'm reading The Jigsaw Man. Um, it was the book of the month at Mahogany Books in DC. Uh, book is fire. That book is amazing. It is like, it's based in Canada. It's like a murder mystery. And um, I really like, and see like now, I love talking about books. Like I love seeing like the world the author creates. 
because you know years ago when i was reading it would literally be like just read for the comprehension to answer the question in the textbook and i would move on um but now like reading is it's almost as if like i was blind and now like i can i can see it's it's crazy like books are crazy to me now um so that is just a super encouraging i'm sure to for parents to hear so i can completely understand how your experience helps you um, work with our, work with students as well as families. Um, it makes me think, okay, so you have a student, let's say they're like in fifth or sixth grade and they now, the family now learns that the student is classified as dyslexic. What would you suggest as the next step, either to the family or the school or both? Uh Good question. Well, to the family, I would just have them take a deep breath. Um, one, before I even give the recommendations, I say like, how are you guys taking this? How are you feeling? Because it could be a lot for a family. Um, often what I find is that a, um, a student, let's say a student will be in fifth grade, right? And let's say I classify them with dyslexia. Well, I classify them with SLD. Um, and I'm, I'm noticing some dyslexic symptoms, I guess we can say. Um, and I see that they're really reading on a third grade level, right? I'll tell the parent, start getting third grade books. Because yes, they can pronounce some of these words in the fifth grade books, but your son or your daughter has no idea what he or she is reading. I'm letting you know that right now. Um, That's controversial, not for me, yeah. but you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I I talked to parents uh, the, last week. Um, I had a student who was uh, very when when it comes to reading fluency on grade level, very good, loved it. Reading comprehension, this student had no idea what he was reading, and I said, well. So he, he can pass all of his classes, but he's going to come to a course, and it may be in college, where he, it actually clicks. And he's like, you know what? I don't know what these words are. I don't know what these words mean. So I, I think you should back it up a little bit, you know, and like, let's, let's move up gradually. Um, I would tell that to the parents, see how they feel about that. Um, again, reading 20 minutes. I think I, I heard that like during like the Bush administration. I don't know. But like reading 20 minutes a day, it, it really helps. Like the, what I've, you know, come to love about dyslexia and reading and words, um, it is a muscle. It is like running. Um, you know, you have to, if you want to get faster, you have to run more. So like if, if you want to get better in reading, um, you have to read more. You have, you have to read the right things. So you have to read things of interest. Um, when it comes to teachers, it's a whole nother conversation. Um, <laughs> when, when it comes to teachers, some teachers I've worked with have been amazing. Um, there is one teacher in particular, Miss Hilliard, she teaches in DCPS now. Um, and she will scaffold work down so low, uh, scaffold work down to the point. I, I don't know how she gets it that low and she'll gradually build a child up and she'll say, okay, we're going to start with first grade once you get first grade now we're going to go to second grade um or i will tell teachers um for like homework help like do a homework club do an after school club um when it comes to in classroom support uh, a lot of chunking helps um 
a lot of audiobooks. Um, I have, and again, audiobooks, audiobooks are... <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how do you feel about audiobooks? Um, I think they can be great. I think yeah. we don't teach students how to use them, right? So, like, if you're just listening to the audiobook, don't come and tell me you read the, you read the book. Like, not to say, because as an adult, I will go back and forth between the audio and the imprint, and um, I'll say I read the book, right? But I, I'm saying this specifically for students who are building their reading skills, especially if you are dyslexic. I think having the audio in the book in front of you is a way to help you um, in a way with like fluency, right? So you could listen, um, but then you have to go back and read it yourself. So I have a student who does that. We do oral reading in class and, you know, I always tell him, here's the section that you're going to read. And so he'll listen to the audio. He'll practice it at home. He'll read it multiple times and then he'll come in class and feel strong about it. That's great. But then like, if he's only listening to the audiobook, I just feel like that is not even, okay. So like you said about sight words, I think sight words can be problematic when we're like, that's all we're going to focus on is like, these are only going to be sight words. You don't build the skill to decode. But I also think at a certain point, certain words just become sight words because we see them so much. And like, we don't want to decode every single thing. So I think it can help with building sight words for like the extremely disfluent kid when you have the audio. But the over-reliance, not having the text in front of you, those are like my two big problems with audiobooks. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, um, especially like with the pandemic, I think we, we are relying a little too much on audiobooks right now. Um, you know, when, when it comes to comprehension, and this is the crazy thing about like education and disabilities and things like that, like, I assess for reading comprehension, right? Um, and then once I put my recommendations in, whether it's scaffolding, whether it's chunking, whether it's reading on a, you know, on a grade level that's two grade levels below, and we're gonna build you up, things like that. And then you'll see the child start to progress, right? And then I'll go back and test the child some years later. I'm like, oh no, they still have dyslexia because you're strengthening them in audio and listening comprehension. <laughs> They, they don't have a listening comprehension deficit. They have a reading comprehension. Like those are two different things. And that's what I have to explain to like schools sometimes and families is that yes, your child is doing great with audiobooks. However, when I'm testing your child, there is no audio. You, you are reading on a text. This is reading comprehension, not listening comprehension. Um, and that, that uh, you know, becomes an issue at times. But kind of like what you said, I think audiobooks are great um, but when, when you're a, you know, let's say you're a 13 year old child and you're really just trying to pass this class, you're just going to do the audio book and move on. You're not going to go back and read. So it's like, we have to be very careful. Like once we allow that, um, accommodation, you really have to regulate it. Like really, really have to be careful for it. Well, I mean, the other thing, it kind of something you spoke on is, especially the higher up you go in grades, you know, the, the audio book is because students are reading texts that are above their instructional reading level. 
or independent reading level and maybe in some cases above like the grade level that they're actually in for like a place that's trying to build rigor so like, what do you do in these circumstances what do you do when you have a seventh grader who's re who's reading to kill a mockingbird <laughs> and um they're reading like on a fourth grade level right um it's hard you know one question you know and there's schools out there hope i don't get in trouble <laughs> there's schools out there <laughs> who like have amazing rigor um they they have kids who are reading very dense thick text um let's iliad let's go with iliad i have so, some schools who have um sixth graders right reading iliad and you have one kid who's really struggling in that text my first question to the school is is this text appropriate for this grade to kill a mockingbird i i, I think it's on the border of appropriateness for seventh grade i think i think i read to kill a mockingbird in 10th grade um and even then i well, I, I was i mean i was struggling but everybody in the class like it's, it's hard text to understand um so to be honest, I would, the first thing I would do would bring it up to the school and say, is this appropriate? Um, like, what are we trying to achieve reading this text in this grade? Uh, because there are books that are grade level appropriate that if you want to, if you want to call this like an honors level seventh grade class, right? I think the way that you can build rigor, but still understand instructional reading zones is, uh, double down on the comprehension. So you can have a, uh, I, gi I give this example all the time. Uh, th there was a, a, a book series out there, the Bernstein Bears, right? Um, and the Bernstein Bears is a, uh, a, I would say second, third grade, maybe, maybe fourth grade level book. Um, there is also a college course you can take on the Berenstein Bears where they really like, I think it's at UCLA, they like dissect <laughs> almost everything. Um, and it's like you're, you're writing essays on how, how did this character feel? And if you had to relate this character to your life. So it's kind of like that where if you really want to build up on the rigor, I would say get an instructional book that's appropriate for seventh grade but really dive into the comprehension. Like if, if you wanted to kill a mockingbird, how did the lawyer feel? How, did, how did, can we relate this case to another case that's happening right now in the country? Um, because if it's just the text, if you just want the child to read a harder text, I don't know if that's appropriate. Yeah, and, and I will say, in fairness to the teachers, it's it's hard to, if you know most of your class is able to read this and then you have a few students um yeah i get it it's hard because now you have to do more in your planning and whatnot but i just think we have to remember what our end goal is um and you know i'm sure it depends on the school but i'm sure there are different resources you can tap into from your student support or special education team your school has a reading specialist like these are people who you can tap into um just to get some support in supporting students um so you know you talk about scaffolding in the content area classes what about to directly provide intervention what do you think that 
looks like. And like, there's different programs out that say, oh, we're the best. I, I hear a lot of parents, they quote one that they love. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that? On uh, interventions, um, as a product of, uh, I forgot what, what intervention was I on? It was, it was so popular in the 90s. Was it Hooked on Phonics? Uh, hooked on Phonics. As, as, as a graduate of Hooked on Phonics 1999, I can tell you that um, the program only works as much as, as the connection fits for the child. Um, I had a lot of parents who loved, uh, there was one reading rockets. Ooh, man, they love reading rockets. Uh, and then there were some kids who just, it, it, didn't, it didn't work for them. Um, I think if your school doesn't have a reading specialist, they I mean, definitely advocate for one. Um, and doing a running record with the reading specialist, doing, doing the QRI with the reading specialist, so you can understand the instructional zone. Um, you can almost kind of create a program just off of that. You can grab books in the library. Let's say their instructional zone is somewhere between third and fifth grade. You can grab a third grade, second month book from the library and you can drill that student on that book until they get comfortable. And then we can assess for knowledge and then we can go to a third grade, six month. Then we can go to a third and like, and it does take time, but I honestly think that that is the best intervention is real-time support from an interventionist, from um, the student support team, not necessarily an IEP. We're not talking about that. Um, so previously I mentioned RTI or MTSS. RTI is response to intervention. So when we're, we're responding to the child not performing well in the classroom, I'm placing the intervention there. And we're saying, hey, for six weeks, we're gonna drill you on this content area, this instructional zone, we're gonna see if we can progress your reading level. Um, and that is, it's not a formal program. You can't go out there and buy it, but I really think that that is the best way to, to grow a reader. Yeah, and you know, something I always say, I, there's so many programs out here. The program can be great as well as it fits for the student and the knowledge base that the teacher has. Um, I think this, and this is really what Etymology Rules is about, especially this first book, but teachers learning about the very thing they're teaching. They're teaching students how to process language in written form, but we need to know the science behind that. And so I think one thing that has helped me is like, I, I know a million different programs, but I know language. So it really aids in my ability to, um, teach those programs and like have a love and a passion and a joy. I think that that students catch on to that too and making it enjoyable, um, making it fun. Cause this is hard. The older you get and you're, and you're still not getting it, you gotta make it appealing. You gotta make it something the students really wanna um, join in on. And sorry, I have like a million questions, but oh, I am gonna wind it down. I'm yeah. here all day, you can ask away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then intervention, right? For it to be targeted, it sounds like it should be small group. Yes. How small one are you thinking? Hey, one-on-one, -on -one, if you can swing it. This, that's, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of schools, and again, my, my POV is DC. So in DC, I, 
and, and another part of like what I do sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll consult with the schools. I'll, I'll go into a school uh, and I'll just kind of see what's going on and give some general recommendations on how, you know, the, the school can improve. And sometimes um, I'll, I'll be taken to a room like, oh, this is our small group pullout room, right? So it's a, one big classroom. Let's say there's four or five teachers in there and each of them have let's say four or five kids. And then I'll say, well, no, this, is, this isn't uh, pulled out at all. This is not a small group. Like this, this is just one classroom and everybody's in different sections, you know? And I know resources are hard and I, and I know space. I mean, if, if DC has, has one thing, it is no space. Um, so like, I, I know that is hard, but the best way for a child to really like build on that reading um, is I say one-on-one. But, you know, realistically, no more than three people. Um, they all should, three students, they, they should be on the same instructional level. You know, if you can, it, somewhere around there in the same instructional level. Um, and it needs to be, I'm going to say three to four times a week. If, if this student is getting pulled out, let's say they are three to four grade levels below, and they're getting pulled out once a week or once every other week. No, they, yeah, the intervention is going to fail. I could have told you that before you started. Could have saved you some time. But, you know, it's, it, it's really, it, it really has to be calculated. Um, and if there are any schools out there listening, and if it is possible to separate groups, because even if you have um, a math group and a reading group next to each other, it still gets confusing. We're talking about kids who are already struggling and you're hearing other people talk. Um, it still gets confusing. So really three to four kids max in a one single classroom would be the best. Sounds like also having, depending on the school, having more than one reading specialist is ideal. Um, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. It, it is it is necessary i think what's crazy is you know there's there's a lot of standardized assessments um and every every year it comes out it always says reading is getting lower we're struggling with reading and stem math science is technology is excelling rightfully so this, this is the era we're in but there's always some big conference some big statement about kids not reading and we need to in, improve reading. You would think that people would hire more reading specialists uh, with all of the talk that we, you know, when we're talking about real, like you, you would think that um, we would spend longer time on a book. Uh, so speaking about To Kill a Mockingbird, if it's a seventh grade, eighth grade classroom, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, it shouldn't take, you, should, you shouldn't be able to finish it in a month. It should take some time. Like we should really be like, if, if that's the book, it, it, another message to schools, if you want to increase the rigor um, and you want to read like a dense book, uh, give that book some time. Like don't just, don't just do it to say you did it, you know? Like if, like if you really want to dive in there, like really you got to scaffold it out. Yeah, wow. I can see why people will bring you in to consult because all of that right there is like truth, honestly. Um, 
okay so i'm gonna wind it down because like i said i could literally go on and on for days and um i just appreciate like i think any school that has you is definitely blessed because you on, not only bring the knowledge but also the experience so amazing amazing thank you yeah um so this is something i always ask what is your favorite word i know that's like a big pivot but yeah i was thinking about this i was thinking about this a lot so i would say can i pick two yeah okay so my first one um is actually my middle name not to i didn't want to pick it because i didn't want to sound vain no but um i'm ghanian right so my middle name is yamichev uh yamichev Say it again. Did you spell that? Oh, yes. N-Y-A-M-E-K-Y-E. Um, and the language is Twi. It's a Ghanaian language, T-W-I. Um, and it means gift from God. Um, and it is just kind of like a constant reminder um, that, one, I don't need to go so hard because God, God got me always. But two um i can do it you know uh no matter and kind of what i've what i've expressed you know um a lot of people have doubted me in my life uh, a lot of people didn't think i would ever get to where i am now uh and like the yamachev is just a constant reminder like yeah like you you got this um and the other word and i i love this word because it is the only word that we use the opposite of its definition more than we use the definition itself. And I love that. Uh, can't, I know it's a contraction, but can't is one of the only words where if you tell somebody can't, they, will, they won't use the definition of can't. They won't be like, okay, I cannot do this. They'll be like, oh no, I can, I can prove you wrong. I can do this, I can. And I was trying to find other words that kind of follow that same theory, but can't is really one of the only words that we use it as so much motivation we use it as um it's almost like an alternative definition it's like it's crazy uh and i i love that i love that word too i like that um because they always say never say can't but i bet you in some cases the fact that someone said you can't do it is what motivates you to be able to do it yeah, yeah. so thank you for can't so that we all can. <laughs> okay, do you have um, like any website, social media, anything that like where you want people to uh, follow, where you share information? Yeah, um, best way to follow me is on Instagram, and it is hi my. Is it? Oh wait, I forgot what it is. It's. <laughs> It's hi, I'm Callistus. Yes, yes, that's what it is. Okay. No, it's my name is. I'm so sorry. That's okay. okay. Hi, my name is Callistus. Okay. Um, oh, you said that you had an interesting thing to say about your name. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so my full name is Carlistus. All right. Um, when I was younger. Uh, my mom uh, was pregnant with a son. 
His name was Callistus, C-A-L-L-I-S-T-U-S, right? He passed away very early on in life. Um, and then they had me. And they said, oh, we'll name him Carlistus, C-A-R-L-L-I-S-T-U-S. And my name is so unique in itself. Um, so my name is pronounced Carlistus. However, to honor the, the person who was me, before me, I pronounce my name with the silent R. Callistus. But I keep it as Carl because my dad really likes Carl. So that's why when people are like, you want to be called Callistus? You want to be called Carl? You want to be called... So I'm like, eh, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. Um, so yeah, that, that's where the Carlistus comes from. But I pronounce it as Callistus. Yes. That clears up so much because yeah. I was actually wondering... Because I'm, I'm very phonetic, like probably hyperly phonetic. And I was like, I know that say R, and I know I'm not hearing it. Is it me? So that makes sense. Yep. And I yep. love the name that has the background, so that's cool. Cool. No problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, so hi, my name is Callistus on Instagram. Um, I also write for Medium. Um, on, on Medium, my pen name is Yamacha, so N-Y. A-M-E-K-Y-E. Um, just wrote an article about emotional intelligence. It's kind of cool. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's it. I'm just just out here. That's what's up. Well, I, we appreciate your time. All of the listeners, I speak for them, and I most certainly do as well. And um, I am going to have you back, so just be prepared. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. It was fun. Got to do it again. Yeah, indeed. And I just got to say, I definitely will be having Carlistus back. So stay tuned for the next episode I have with him. I really hope you all enjoyed the interview. You learned something. You know, you got a better understanding about dyslexia, both dyslexia as a gift um, and the struggles that people with dyslexia face in the society. And just know that I will continue to come back to this topic because literacy is a passion of mine. And as a language lover, I feel like as language lovers in general, we have a responsibility to help others love language as well, to appreciate language, to understand language. And literacy is a tool for liberation because as one of my favorite quotes says, reading and writing our emancipatory acts. So it is my charge to ensure that everybody has access to quality literacy education, no matter what your skills, what your difficulties, your race, your socioeconomic status, etc. Okay, so stay tuned for a couple episodes in March where I will be discussing language but with a lens from a woman's perspective. So I can't wait to come back and share this knowledge with you all. And I hope you all enjoyed. Take care. Peace. I was living could stop serving rocks, knowing the cops is hot when I'm on the block and I
wish my brother would have made bail so I won't have to travel six hours to see him in jail. And I wish that my grandmother wasn't sick or that we would just come up on some stacks and hit a lick. And I wish my homies wouldn't have to suffer when the streets get the upper hand on us and we lose a brother. And I wish I could go deep in the zone and lift the spirits of the world with the words within the zone. And I